Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. We bring in our colleague Mark Brennan from Lions 24-7 with Fight on State. Of course, you've known Mark from this podcast. You've known Mark for decades from his Penn State coverage. We're going to talk about some basketball this week. Found a good window to do that. Uh, Penn State getting back to the court later on Monday against Maryland, coming off of a second consecutive Big Ten win, a year one under Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, we'll talk big picture. We'll talk about uh, the current situation as well for these Nittany Lions with Mark in just a moment. But uh, Mark and his daughter, Grace Brennan, who does a great job shooting photos for us and did so last season, they were on hand at Thon on campus uh, this past weekend. First off, everyone was on hand. It was masks were required in the Bryce Jordan Arena, as, or Bryce Jordan Center, as you'd imagine. But but it was a moment where, wow, it felt a little bit like normalcy on campus. I know for a lot of people, the interacting among those uh, the Thon families and the, and the athletes, including football players. We'll talk about some of the, the takeaways from the football perspective of things, Mark. But what was it like to be back in the building, the energy, um, everything happening on campus for the first time since COVID changed everything for a lot of us? Yeah, I could tell you it was uh, the traffic was insane. I made the mistake of driving by the Jordan Center on the way to do some errands on Friday, and uh, but it was insane in a good way. I mean, it's really cool to see. I wasn't actually in the BJC. I was at Athlete Hour over in the uh, multi-sport facility, uh, but Grace went over and just to see, you know, some of the videos that were taken and the in the photos, uh, very cool. Um, you know, this has been such a huge thing over the years for Penn State athletes in the just Penn State community in general and to have it back the way it normally goes was very cool and listen from an athlete's perspective I've always loved what what Penn State football and some of the other programs who are out of season do they they have the younger kids you know early enrollees true freshmen some sophomores go and participate in these things whether it's at athlete hour where they have a chance to interact with the kids whether it's going up on stage and doing this stuff at actual thon or doing the last tours, which were always cool. We didn't get a chance to, to see that this year, uh, only because they were being extra safe, completely understandable, but very cool to see the way that, that Penn State football and all the other athletes who are out of season are able to contribute to that. You got to see some early enrollees, got a video up on, on Lions 24-7 and YouTube, check that out. Um, but it was fun to watch. We, You know, you and I joked the other day, we saw Drew Aller and Bo Prabula throwing a tiny football around, so we yeah. can parse that for the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. Um, but what really stuck out to you uh, from seeing these guys? I think that was probably your first time seeing these guys in person. Um, what really stuck out to you about that group? Did anybody just jump out at you like kind of like, whoa, this this is this guy might not be what I expected. This guy might be a little, you know, a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller or whatever. What, what really jumped out to you about that group? 
Yeah, I had seen most of the guys kind of just walking by at camps and stuff, and it's a whole different perspective than than kind of being around. And you know, Aller, I mean, I was just and Sean, I know you've you've talked to him in person, uh, physically, how tall he is, and you know, you would not if somebody were to tell you he was a tight end, you would not be surprised. Now, obviously, he's not a tight end, but he just has that sort of size. I mean, that was that to me. Uh, was impressive. Zane Durant, you know, not the tallest guy, but he has a build to him. He just looks like he's all completely muscle. You know, you can see where he's going to be one of those, I don't want to say undersized D lineman, but just one of those guys who may not look like he's huge. I don't want to throw Aaron Donald out there because that'll get people thinking the wrong thing. But in that vein where he's not necessarily super tall, but you can see kind of, um, you know, just how put together. The Kevin uh, Givens. Approach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that sort of build. But Kevin I think Givens Aaron Donald's was, name was already thrown out on our message board yeah. when Sean put out his update on, on Zane Durant's early start. I did not so know. I did not forget about it. That was yeah. someone <laughs> mentioned that. Happened. I just want to be clear. I did not mention Aaron Donald. Um, no, we've talked. Well, you, so you've covered Pat Mahomes and Drew Aller. You've covered Aaron Donald and <laughs> yeah. Zane Durant. Any other all pros uh, that you've, you've seen in their first couple of weeks on campus? Yeah. the You know, the one guy who stood out to me, not necessarily from a physicality standpoint, uh, but and I don't think this will come to any as any surprise to you guys. But Caden Saunders, I mean, just like the Pied Piper of that class, you know, it, it clearly, I think he was the leader throughout the recruiting process, and he's you, you could just tell he's one of those dynamic personality kids that everybody kind of you know I don't want to say follows, but kind of rallies around. And I think it's important because when you have that group of early enrollees on campus, you know, that can't be an easy thing. I could never have envisioned myself back 75 years ago, you know, arriving at college into this sort of atmosphere, you know, and trying to fit in immediately. And it's, so I think it's cool that they all have kind of each other and their ringleader uh, to kind of pull that whole thing together. So those are some of the things, you know, Prabula, uh, I don't want to say this is a negative because we've seen small quarterbacks who have done really well very recently at Penn State, but the difference between Aller and Prabula uh, physically is, is is noteworthy, just in the sense that you could tell one guy, not you can tell, but one guy is just so much physically bigger. And I'm trying to think if there was anybody else who really stood out to me. Evans struck me as being on the thinner side, obviously, you know, tremendous high school athlete. He played quarterback at that level. I think he's a guy who's going to need some time in the weight room. But overall, I think the fact that those guys were just there kind of hanging out together and you could see there was a really good vibe amongst them, I thought was pretty cool. How about that number choice for, uh, for Bro Pabula? That's yeah, something that, that caught tremendous. me. Yeah. And that's what I'm, I'm just, I'm just pointing that out. Sometimes people, you say that, and people are like, well, he's being critical. No, I mean, I mean, McSorley was tremendous at his size. It's just a matter of when you see these guys on the field for the blue-white game, it's going to be noticeable to people and just, you know, be prepared. You know, who knows who's going to be the better quarterback, but that, there's a, a clear difference between the two of them in that sense. Bo Prabula staying on brand number nine. Uh, of course, that was Trace McSorley's jersey. And, of course, that was the initial comparison. It's the one that has continued to pop back up uh, with Bo Prabula and his style of play and what he brings to the quarterback position. Um, and, Mark, just really quickly going through uh, the overall event. I mean, is there something to be said for this early enrollment group um, getting – I mean, there's obviously something to be said, but we can talk about it here. Getting this whole spring semester, getting the kind of the icebreaker moments like this yeah. on campus with the community – 
getting this whole winter workout, getting the spring ball in, in true fashion. They had a little bit of that last year, but it wasn't that entire return to normalcy. I do wonder how that maybe impacts the ability of this freshman class. It's never easy for early enrollees to come in and, and hit the field in September. And certainly a lot of that is the physicality and the mental part of it. I just get a sense that this offseason, you have to imagine, is going to make it far more easier to acclimate a group of newcomers to your program than what they've encountered with the last couple of freshman classes. Yeah, I think the other thing, Tyler, is that they went through a relatively normal senior year compared to the previous class. So, so and, and it's different now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Most of these kids who are enrolling early have been exposed to weight programs and weight training, not to the level that they're going to be at Penn State, but I think they're much, most of them are much more physically prepared the moment they step on campus. Now, I know Sean has reported some things about some guys who need to get a little stronger, which is perfectly natural. I mean, when you get, when you step into that program, of course, a lot of guys are going to need to get stronger. But I think the baseline that they're starting from is very good. And that's one of the things when we talk to guys like uh, Curtis Jacobs and Tyler Warren. You know, they, they said that these guys are really fitting in at that level, too, that the, the work ethic is there and all those type of things. So it's it's again, I just think it's this return to normalcy kind of, you know, quote unquote normalcy uh, that I think is good for them. And I think it's good for the program in general. The other guy I got to say, one guy who really stood out to me, I it, listen, I've seen Olu around and he's not one of these incoming freshmen. He's what a redshirt freshman or redshirt sophomore whatever the heck he is but you know I didn't have a sense for how tall he was and how huge he was until I'm standing right next to him and uh boy and how about how that kid carries himself I never had the opportunity to talk to him but my goodness you know just an impressive guy in every different way so it's cool to see some of these younger players that I hadn't had a chance to get to, to talk to Tyler Warren too physically I mean really I I yeah, the, the the height and, and you know he said he's two fifty five, but he looks even bigger than that to me. Uh, so just you know some of these young players in the program and the size that they're recruiting is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's good to have some of those older guys there. You mentioned Curtis Jacobs. I I, I think this is this is the year he becomes a star and and embracing that, trying to cultivate some leadership out of this is is something that you know when you heard down the stretch last year that they maybe don't have the the greatest of uh, of leadership. You would like to see that turn as quickly as possible. And I, I think a, a guy like Jacobs can go a long way in that. Of course, you're getting Sutherland back on that side of the ball, PJ Mustafer back on that side of the ball. So you just it, it's it's not a tangible thing. You can't really you know quantify how much this means. But having a guy like that who's, you know, potentially on the on the breakthrough of being a star involved in something like this, I think it does say something about the program, it says something about how invested these guys are, not only in the football aspect of it, but the overall, you know, just sort of, um, you know, just the overall feeling of, of that program. Yeah, Jacobs was one of the other guys who was a clear leader, obviously not in that class, but, uh, you know, going from area to area, sometimes when you're involved in something like that, as a early enrollee, you're not sure where to go or what to do, but uh, Jacobs was just in the middle of everything and, you know, almost called to mind uh, Saquon a few years ago when he was involved with it. Cause you know, when Saquon gets involved in something, you know, whether it's a football game or a, a camp with kids or that sort of thing, they're in it full go. And Jacobs obviously emerging as a leader. And I think that's really important, you know, especially given the kids that they're losing from that linebacker room. 
Yeah. Not just the kids, the the voice in that room of Brent Pry that has been the yeah. mainstay that recruited all these guys. And I just think there is just such a considerable gap between Curtis Jacobs and everybody else, including Jonathan Sutherland, in terms of game reps and game experience at the linebacker position, knowing how to receive the information from your coach on the sideline and then disseminate it among your teammates. I think that's going to be really important for Curtis Jacobs in, in his new role, stepping up. Wrote about that a little bit coming off the interview that, that you conducted with him. Um, and, you know, that's a big thing. One is building that, he said, getting on the same wavelength as Manny Diaz so they can kind of anticipate each other a little bit better. That's something that I think spring ball is going to be an approving ground for both of them. The other one was, admittedly, he's not a natural vocal leader. And, you know, there's certain guys that step in as freshmen, and you're, you're just saying the guy's going to be a captain someday. P.J. Mustafer, his former teammate at, at McDonough, he had that kind of gregarious personality as a 16-, 17-year-old recruit. Curtis Jacobs is a hell of an athlete, and we, we raved about him throughout his recruitment, and, and Sean says he's on the precipice of being a star. But, uh, you know, if he's going to take his next step for this program, a lot of that needs to happen off the field. And, and Jesse Lucetta kind of described making him uh, – trying to push him to be a vocal leader as extracting teeth a little bit. Maybe it's become easier for him now that, that some of those guys have moved on and there's no really other options. You're looking around the room. You're looking around these winter workouts when someone needs to step up and say something, whether it's encouraging, maybe critical, and all of a sudden you realize you're the guy now. So I think there's a lot going into it, but Curtis Jacobs, um, all the talent in the world, and, and I just think that's that's a really, really just a guy you circle three times and say he's going to be so important for what they can accomplish after losing seven defensive starters. And, yeah, and you know, you the other, at, oh, sorry, one Mark. other thing, Sean, the one thing about Curtis Jacobs is um, after some of the toughest games last season, that guy came out and met the media and was nothing but a complete, you know, as you would expect, class act uh, and handled himself very well. And that is not an easy thing to do. That is that is not an easy thing to do. And I do not envy those kids uh, who have to do it. And I could say kids because I'm so old. But uh, <laughs> for him to do that, I mean, that to me. You could talk about vocal leadership all you want, but when you're willing to be the guy who comes out or one of the multiple guys who would come out and take accountability like Dotson always did, uh, and a lot of the guys did, but but to see a younger guy like that do it, you know, you, you kind of forget how young he was because I asked him, what's it like seeing Micah uh, in the league? And he goes, well, I was only really on the team with him for about two weeks. Yeah. And I, I'm like, well, yeah, that's right, because you forget. It seems like Jacobs has been around longer, doesn't it? I mean, it does to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, to see him emerging this early in his career is pretty cool. And, and getting that leadership from a guy that's that can be a star, you know, there's a difference there because you've got you've got you want to have levels of leadership or you want to have leadership at every level in that defense. And you you got PJ, you know, PJ, you know what PJ is going to bring to the table at, on the defensive line. And there's some other guys that have stepped up around him. I know uh, Tangelo was really big last year for them. So they got to fill that void with a guy like Devon Ellis or, or something like that. Um, but then you get that second level and Sutherland, I assume, is going to be a captain. But, you know, how much are we going to see of him on the field? I think that's still very a very big question as we're a month out from uh, from spring practice. One of those storylines is filling out that linebacker room. And if you can get one of your stars, one of the only guy basically that, you know, is going to be entrenched as a starter at that second level of defense to be that leadership guy. Um, I think that's big. And then, of course, you've got Jair Brown behind him. You've got Joey Porter, a veteran behind them as well. And some other guys that have played a lot of football like Daquan Hardy in that secondary. So filling out the middle of the defense from a personnel standpoint is important, but also filling out, you know, the, the, the leadership aspect, who's going to step up and, and be that guy, because you're going to have a guy that's an outside linebacker. You know, we, we expect Curtis Jacobs to be the, the will in the box, but he's not the, you know, you usually have your guy in the middle, Ellis Brooks calling it. You're going to either have Tyler Elston or probably Kobe King in there. 
Um, so you're going to have to have that leadership coming from the flank, which is, you know, a little bit of a different approach from what they've gone with over the last couple of seasons. Nice segue, Sean, because we are exactly one month away from spring ball. You mentioned the, the spring ball storylines. They're starting to creep up on us. Um, not a lot of clarity to gain from things, events like this. You get a bit of a sense on, on personalities, but the things we're talking about got to be determined on the field for the most part, position battles and such. But February 21st, we understand that spring ball is going to open on March 21st. It's going to culminate in that blue-white game in April 23rd. We have to see a lot of you out there at Beaver Stadium for uh, the event that we knew in 2019 and before. But, fellas, uh, what's on? What's weighing on your mind right now? And for me, I'll start it off. I, I can't help uh, but but keep shifting focus to this group of freshmen who just rolled in. I know it's always kind of uh, enticing to look at the shiny new toys and say, what could you do with these? But when you bring in the top quarterback in the country and the top running back in the country by 24 seven sports evaluation, and you hear some of the early reports on a guy like Zane Durant, uh, you know, the, the, the Caden Saunders comes in a guy that we've been waiting to see how he would transition to campus. It's hard to look away from this group, particularly when, you know, uh, this roster, it's it getting hit pretty hard, uh, by, by the guys that are, are making the move to the NFL. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's it's important to understand how you process that information because you've got guys that are coming onto campus. They're going to make a leap when they get here. They should make a leap when they get here based on getting into that program, you know, getting all the initial soreness and stiffness and everything out of the way. And then, you know, maybe you put on eight pounds in a week, you know, that that's the kind of changes that you're seeing very quickly. And then I don't say you'll hit a wall, but you'll slow down, you'll plateau a little bit, and then you get into the next development, uh, the next stage of your development. So you get those positive reports in January and February, you get them every year. And then, you know, by the time March rolls around, you got to sort of pull them back. So I think it's very important how you process the information, how you expect to process this, this information. But I think you're right. You look at uh, the spot where a guy could, like Saunders, could come in and, and be a potential contributor versus a guy like Zane Durant, who we've heard fantastic things about as a physical specimen, but how likely is it that he breaks into that rotation defensive tackle? It's not very likely because you've got Mustafa, you've got Ellie's, Kazai Izzard, you've got a few other guys, Hakeem Beeman back, you know, with the team and everything like that. So that's going to be, um, you know, uh, about how you place that story. What happens at defensive end is a big one. I just mentioned linebacker a little bit ago. That's the one that I'm very interested in basically because we don't have an answer yet. You've got Jacobs. You know what you're getting in Jacobs. You've got Sutherland, and you're probably saying this a little bit different. You know what you're getting in Sutherland. How does a guy like Jamari Budden fit in? How do, What happens in the middle with Elsden um, and Kobe King? Obviously, they're still looking at the portal heavily for a linebacker that hasn't popped up yet. So um, I think that's probably the most interesting thing. And I was asked in my chat the other day about what the interesting storylines are. That, to me, from a frontline standpoint, who's going to be actually on the field? Who's going to be starting um, in, in September on September 1st? I mean, that's probably the really interesting one to me. And I think we'll spend a lot of time in the offseason talking about that. But linebacker just it just keeps coming back to that second level of the defense is how do you how do you fill that out and do you have the depth to work around that? Yeah, me me, I you know, every year it seems uh we're talking about the offensive line at this time of year as an area that kind of underachieved. And uh, you know, sooner or later they have to start putting the pieces together. I mean, we could talk about quarterbacks, running backs, everybody else. But if they want to be the offense they want to be, I mean, they, they're going to have to have a talented, consistent offensive line. Now, they lose some guys who have played an awful lot of football. Um, but, it, it, you know, now it guys have opportunities to step up. You know, Olu, I thought, showed some good things when we saw him late in the year. Uh, you know, I'm anxious to see Juice. Did it, do they move him to center full time? I think that could be a really good move for him. 
unfortunately, the, the, the grad transfer isn't going to be able to make it right for spring practice. So we're not going to get an opportunity to see him until the preseason. But I just think that offensive line in general, you know, Caden Wallace, is he going to start to really put it together? Uh, I, that, that's an area to me where it has consistently underperformed. When Franklin first got here, it was, com it was completely understandable because the way Bill O'Brien tried to mitigate the NCAA sanctions was by recruiting the offensive line as if it, he had an NFL roster. Uh, and he almost had to do that. So they just didn't need, they didn't have enough offensive linemen to, to the point where they had to move guys like Gaia and Dowry uh, from defensive line. But now, you know, you can't use that as an excuse anymore. They've had multiple recruiting classes. They've recruited talented guys. It's time to, for these guys to start producing. And it's a big year for Troutline. I'm glad, you know, I know a lot of people were uh, up in arms last year. They should go in a different direction. I think they need some consistency. And let's see what this guy's able to do because he did it at other places. He did it at BC. Let's see if he can come can come through and get it done here. But they, it seems to me as if they've recruited well enough. Now's the time to put it together. The thing there is, since we last saw this team on a field, you know, working as an offensive line unit, it, it hasn't changed much. They've lost some familiar faces, obviously, that Eric Wilson has gone and Mike Miranda, who started a bunch of games here, is gone and some of the backs up backups that we've known for a while. Uh, Des Holmes, Wigan, no longer with the program. You've added J.B. Nelson from Lackawanna College. That transition is going to be, you know, a big adjustment for him. Really only one year of football there at Lackawanna because of the 2020 situation. So you're, you're holding on for Hunter Norzad showing up later this year, and then you're going to get him in pads in August. And, and maybe you can bring in a tackle via the transfer portal. That's something that they're, they're still focused in on, clearly. We'll see what time tells there. But I think it's going to be really, to your point, what you got was what you got right now, and a lot of these guys either underperformed or haven't done anything on the field. So Phil Troutwine gonna have to sink his teeth into the situation uh, and and really find something here. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the third year players, and there's five of them. Ovi Fashano is one that certainly seems primed to make that next step. Can you get another guy? Golden Israel Ochumba, uh, Sean had mentioned earlier uh, this winter, a guy that's maybe making some forward progress. Nick Dawkins as an interior presence. Uh, can you get a, a, maybe a two-deep tackle out of Jimmy Christ? Um, there's a lot of questions about that group, and I think you, you, what doesn't scare you as much as this, as the first team unit when you project it right now, even though that's a work in progress, it's when you start to go down to that second team unit on the offensive line where you really start to wonder, can this be the competitive atmosphere that Penn State requires to get their best five on the field? Because I think that's really important is, is that you have eight or nine guys who can play power five, big 10 football and really force Phil Troutwine to make difficult decisions to get those best five. So what I think we saw last year and what was one of the more disappointing elements of this was really from, from game one through game 12, clearly there wasn't a comfort level beyond six, seven, and, and you throw in Tengwell late, maybe seven, eight guys at the most. And and that's not enough. No, I agree with that. I think Tengwell is going to be a big part of that. You know, you look at that offensive line for Shanu, uh, you like what you saw from him, but I mean, that's a big jump to make from essentially playing little to no football to being a, a full-time starter. Guys have done it. Guys have been successful with it, but it takes some time. And and you'll see that, I think the same thing with Fashanu, very high on his potential, but that's, you know, we're talking more 2023 um, versus 2022. I don't know why I said it like that, but uh, Fashanu and Tengwell there on the left side, uh, nor is that'll be interesting. Salim Wormley is probably the X factor on the interior. What do you do with him? Where does he fit best? How, how much we or how far along is he in his recovery? Because you don't really expect him to be full go in the spring, 
but at the same time, you like you'd like to see him get some work to to see if he was actually where they they say he was, which is yeah, you know, I think in hindsight, it's it's really easy to say that he was in the starting spot. We you know by the time the the whenever that leaked out or whenever we reported that um, that he was out for the season, it's it's easy to say that he was the starter, but at the same time, there's really no evidence that you can look to to say that this guy was definitely going to change your offensive line you know to make that make it so much better than it actually was so you know you've got questions about where he's at and then of course Caden Wallace is you know to me that's the x factor right there um you know has he shown the potential that 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 he showed at one point I don't think he's he's gotten there yet um can he make that step I don't know it's a big question um so yeah there's there's so many questions there again i've said it this offensive line is not going to be very good this spring don't expect it to be good um but uh you you've got to get some some you know visual evidence of of this is going in the right direction and, and until it happens till we get to see these practices we get to see the blue white game um not that that's the be all end all but there's going to be questions out there to all the way up to till next season yeah guys have to stay healthy too i mean to to, to your point sean i mean uh, obviously, that was a that was an issue last year. I mean, late late in the year, obviously, you know, losing the guy who should have been your best <laughs> offensive tackle. Um, and the other thing that I would say is, um, I'm interested interested to see how kind of the shift in the, the in the strength training program sh- maybe shift isn't the right word, but w- if you look at what Dwight Gall did, he was a superhero in terms of putting guys into the league and getting guys to be just outstanding at the combine, but I'm not sure that that necessarily translated. The one area you just wonder about, you know, they haven't done it with the offensive line yet. And I wonder if there are some things that they have to maybe rethink through with Chuck Losey uh, in terms of developing offensive linemen. We won't see that this spring, but, you know, hopefully if we get a chance to talk to some of these people, uh, some of these players uh, as the spring goes along, uh, maybe we can get some insight on that and how things may be, if, if anything has changed. But yeah, again, I want to be clear, Dwight Galt, you know, you look at what he's done at every other position and it's been amazing, but Penn State just really wasn't quite at that level in terms of developing, you know, offensive linemen for the NFL. Let's see if they're able to get there. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Before we shift our focus over some hoops, um, just wanted to note that Thon reported uh, $13.7 million uh, through their efforts that, that you know, the, the yearly efforts that culminate with this past weekend. Um, hats off to everyone involved. Uh, my understanding is that they're now over $200 million raised in the 50 years that this uh, event has existed and this uh, effort that spans generations of Penn State students. And I know that you two are a couple of university alums. So I know this is one of the more proud moments on the calendar every year 
for Penn State faithful. I know coming out of the pandemic, getting to see these all, all these students and athletes and guys like Nick Scott, who just won the Super Bowl, Pat Fryermuth was back in town, all that community stuff happening and the end result, obviously supporting children dealing with, with cancer and their families. Again, just a huge shout out to, to all those involved. And I know that you two are, are proud alumni uh, coming off of a weekend like this. Yeah, it's great to see. I mean, I'm old enough that I remember when it was at Rec Hall and not, not old enough to remember the, the very first ones, but uh, very cool to see. And it's cool to see on social media how many you know current students and then alumni who kind of really dive into it and, and enjoy uh, the whole thing. But also remembering, you know, and going through, uh, Grace actually took some pictures for the Patriot News as well of the actual Thawn event. And, you know, I think we always have to remember that it's 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 about, you know, raising money for kids who are dealing with cancer and their and their families. And so it's it's great to talk about how great the event is. But I think we always have to acknowledge the whole for the kids thing. You know, it really is pretty cool to see people giving to help others who are in need. I mean, because, you know, God, but for God's grace, there go go we, and hopefully we're never in that situation. But if we are, it's good to know that there are people who are helping out like that. Yep, nothing more terrifying to me than than that. I mean, that's yeah. just uh, you hit it on the head, Mark. It's uh, it's an event that is pushing in the right, or hopefully pushing things in the right direction, so that people don't have to deal with that. It's just uh, it's a, it's one of those things. It's one of the few things that keeps you up at night. So. Amen. And by the way, the site is donate.thon.org if you want to make an impact uh, moving forward towards next year's total. Um, jumping over to the to basketball right now and, and, and Penn State coming off of a couple wins, Mark, and uh, it came at a good time because they had lost six of seven matchups. Things uh, were not rolling in the right direction. They, they beat number 19 Michigan State last Tuesday, and they came back for this potentially sleepy Thursday afternoon tip-off ended up just hammering Minnesota 67 to 46. They're back in action on Monday. And I feel like whenever we have you on the show to talk about Penn State basketball, either the Big Ten tournament gets canceled because the pandemic's coming through or something bad happens in the next game. If that happens, it's our fault again. But Mark, how important <laughs> set them up. Yeah. Yeah. How important <laughs> was it for the Nittany Lions to get a little bit stabilized uh last week? Yeah, I mean, I thought that Michigan State win was gigantic. You know, you know, to me, gigantic in the sense that Shrewsbury is playing with house money this year. I, don't, you know, given all the transition that they had, I don't know that anybody had any reasonable expectations that they were going to compete at the upper level of the Big Ten or even for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, but I think just kind of in the in the micro of it. If this team could somehow get to the NIT, I think it would be a good thing. You have so many seniors. Um, and to get there, you know, they really had to pull out of that spiral. Now they still have a lot of work to do, but that first step in beating Michigan state, obviously this isn't your father's Michigan state team, you know, just soft inside, which you almost never see, but listen to win that game against a ranked Michigan state team at the time, uh, was very big. And then hanging out down on the floor prior to that Minnesota game, you got a sense from some of the coaches down there, you know, that they were not very happy with the, the way they lost that previous game to Minnesota, you know, 76 to 70 against the second worst team in the, in the big 10 ahead of Nebraska. And at that point I got a feeling, yeah, I think this could get ugly and, and, and sure enough it did. So, you know, hats off to them for being able to pull it together and put themselves in a position where, 
if they are able to beat Maryland, as we re- record this, it, it's Monday, uh, early, late morning. Uh, they play Maryland tonight. They have five regular season games left. They're slight underdogs against Maryland. They'll be favorites against uh, Northwestern and Nebraska. And then they'll be heavy underdogs again at Illinois and at a Rutgers team who is just beating everybody at home. So you look at where they are now, one game under 500. To get to 500 going into the Big Ten tournament, they have to go three and two. And that really means winning tonight. And why is that important? Because the unofficial threshold to get to the NIT is a 500 record. And for this team to do that, they would have to be 500 going to the Big Ten tournament and then go one and one. That's reasonable. If they go three and two, trust me on the math, they're going to have to win three games at Big Tens. Or if they go two and three, they're going to have to win three games at Big Tens. And that is not going to happen with this team. I would be surprised if it happened. So that's kind of what's on the table and, and where they're going from here. But again, all that said, they're playing with house money. So anything they're able to do this year is is good just in terms of setting up this program for future success. Yeah, you're not really playing uh, uh, for this season. You're you're kind of leaning on the hope of the future, and I think that that's important because with Penn State basketball, it's that's not always there, and that's actually rarely there. And you feel watching that game, and I went to the game on Thursday. That was the first game that I've gone to. They just pounded Minnesota from from start to finish, and it was just it, we were talking a, a little bit before, and I asked, "Is that the the most complete, the best game they've played?" Because I haven't caught all the games. Um, is that the best game they play? You said, yeah, you know, the win over Iowa was great, but you know, both teams were kind of off at some point. This was rolling from, from start to finish for Penn state. And that's, that's the kind of effort. That's the kind of impressive um, effort that you want to see from this team in February when you're b- below 500. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it's really uh, encouraging to see that these guys play hard for Shrewsbury. I know this is kind of what we felt with Pat Chambers in the early stages of his career, and then he couldn't assimilate the talent to get over the hump. I think that that's a little bit different when it comes to Shrewsbury and you've got Adam Fisher, who's recruiting at a very high level. So I think there, you know, there's a Penn state basketball level of hope there, which is obviously, you know, on a curve compared to some other programs throughout the country, but you know, it's, it's good to see. And it's fun. It's fun to watch them uh, sort of scrap their way to, to where they can get. Well, people, when you, uh, if you follow the in-game threads, people get very frustrated with their offense and the way they play. And I think folks have to realize the only way they're going to compete with a Michigan State is by slowing the tempo and by uh, crashing the defensive glass. They, they are not going to be able to run against the more athletic teams in the Big Ten. They just can't do it. I mean, that's the only way that they're going to be able to win these games. And I think it says something that they are able to do it. You know, another thing that jumped out is, so when you're playing that tempo, the one thing you can't afford to do is turn the ball over. And in that loss at Minnesota – they gave up 26 points off turnovers. They handed Minnesota that game, and that's not a knock on Minnesota. Minnesota is, is in the same boat as Penn State. They just don't have – I don't think across the board they're as talented as Penn State. And both aren't at a very high level, and that's not a knock. That I'm respecting Penn State for playing as well as it is without tremendous talent. But to give up 26 points in a game off turnovers is insane, and they knew that. So what did they do? They adjusted – gave up two points off turnovers in the win over Minnesota going into the final minute and then had three in the game. So they learned from it. And and that's another thing. You know, Shrewsbury, after they lost to Michigan, he made a strategic error in that game late in the first half. They had a a, a double-digit lead. Uh, Michigan looked like it was completely disinterested, 
much more disinterested than Michigan was at the end of the Wisconsin game, I should say. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Uh, and he went with a lineup that had never played all year. I mean, basically a, a bunch of backups and maybe one or two of his regulars, and they blew the lead. And after the game, he said, hey, that's on me. That's a rookie coaching mistake. And he, he just wasn't giving lip service. He mentioned it He mentioned it later at, at one of his weekly press, press conferences. Yeah, the Michigan loss, that was on me. I love that. I mean, that's a guy acknowledging that, hey, I'm, I'm learning. This is a learning process for me. I'm in my first year as a coach. So the fact that he's able to learn and the players are able to learn, I think, speaks well of the foundation that they're setting. Is it going to make a big difference if this team goes to the NIT this year? No. What it will make a difference for is all the seniors who are on the team, the, you know, the, the Harris and the kids who have transferred in. Uh, it'll make a difference for them. And that's why I think it would be nice if they were able to get there. But in terms of where this program is going to be in five years, nobody's going to look back and say, oh, my God, remember when they made that unbelievable run to, to get into the NIT back in 2022? No, that's not going to be big. But I do think it would be good for some of the, the veteran players who either stuck with the program or came to help in this transition. Yeah, speaking of that, Mark, it's about a year ago. You couldn't afford to leave your computer because the, there were roster maneuvers happening. There was transfer portal entries. This roster was like hanging on by a thread. Ultimately, they got some guys to circle back. It would, obviously made a huge impact. They went out and got some transfer additions of their own. What do you make of this? Because the way that this group of players came together was so frantic. Um, obviously, I'd have to imagine there was a, a process that required a lot of gelling. This is college basketball, I guess. There's always that turnover. But what do you make of, of the, the personnel standpoint for Penn State this year? And by the way, they got that top 25 recruiting class signed up. Right. Well, and that's where yeah, I think they wisely didn't bother trying to convince late signees to come to Penn State last year. You know, they were more focused on just getting into the portal. And it was it was funny because when guys were entering the portal, it was like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. And, you know, they didn't go out and get Duke-level players or anything, but they got good. I mean, Pickett is a legit Big Ten player. I mean, there's He's no good. question about it. The guy's averaging 38 minutes a game or something and, uh, you know, driving the basket, getting stuff done. Uh, Greg Lee, if he could stay healthy – I, I keep wanting to call him Nick Lee, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that mistake, and people are going to say Nick Lee and, and Greg Lee are completely different people. But if he could stay healthy, he would have been a really great addition to this team. So I think it spoke to the how plugged in Shrewsbury and Fisher and the other assistant coaches were, that they were able to go, Aki Collins, that they were able to go and, uh, and make those things happen. So I think uh, that was a key part of it. And again, all about setting the foundation. So they were able to come in this year and field a representative team, okay? Again, not one that's going to compete for a Big Ten title, not one that's going to compete for an NCAA title, but not one where, Sean, when you take your kids to the game, you're like, oh, my God, this is, like, terrible to watch. They're, they're, they're actually, if you like basketball, and even though it's not the most high, high up-tempo style, they are, it, it's, a, it's a decent team to watch, and they're in a lot of competitive games. So there's something to be said for that in terms of the foundation setting. Mark, I was in my garage at 6.15 on Thursday. That's how quick that game was, and the 4 o'clock start was incredible. I loved it. But, uh, no, it was, a great, it was a great first game for my kids, so we, uh, we appreciated that time there. And, and going back to this team, I mean, I don't think it's lip service when you, when you hear coaches or you hear whomever say Penn State's not a team that you want to see in the Big Ten tournament. And there's, there's some teams like if, 
if you saw Minnesota in the Big Ten tournament, your eyes would light up. I mean, the, the, they look like they've rolled over just from seeing them in person. There's a couple other teams in the Big Ten that look like that. Penn State's still playing hard. You know, John Hara playing against Mi uh, Michigan State was just one of the incredible efforts that we've seen. Um, so, I mean, the fact that they're still in it, they're still playing hard. I mean, they can – I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten tournament. I don't think they're going to make a deep run or anything like that, but they, they can. And that's the thing when you're trying to assess the momentum coming out of the season – you haven't rolled over and died at this point, which some some teams, you know, for for lack of a better uh, metaphor here, have done that. Yeah, that's a great point about Michigan State to uh, Hara. For people who don't know, sixteen points and sixteen rebounds, and that's when you talk about nobody wants to see this team at the Big Ten tournament. That's exactly nobody wants to see John, John Hara because he is going to. to yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's he's six foot nine, two hundred and forty five pounds of you know just pure muscle and does not mind doing the dirty work. In fact, he enjoys uh, getting in there and just throwing his body around. And you could see that. Those Michigan State guys wanted no part of him, absolutely no part. It was really weird to see from a Michigan State team because typically that's what they do to other people. They're not doing it this year, though, and I think they have some issues in terms of how far that team's going to go. But, yeah, I, I, that's a great point, Sean. In, in watching that Michigan State game, you got the sense that those guys wanted no part, and that's going to be – you know. Is Illinois going to be like that? No, because Kofi will take on any physical challenge. Is Purdue going to be like that? No, because they have twin towers who are really tough. But there are other, you know, more, you know, skill type teams that are going to want no part of this team for sure. A bit of a basketball fix here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can, of course, follow Mark Brennan on Lions 24-7 uh, every step of the way during the season. Maryland matchup, 7 o'clock tip-off here on Monday. We'll see if the Nittany Lions can make it three in a row in the Big Ten. Uh, a bit of an update on the Penn State football staff for 2022. Sean, something you're reporting out today. Uh, veteran Frank Leonard uh, spent some time at Boston College with Phil Troutline, has crossed paths, as you'd imagine, with members of this Penn State coaching staff. He's coming on board. Yeah, a really interesting addition here. If you look to try and fix the run game, um, we, we always talk about how Steve Adazio is is really kind of the master. I mean, he, he doesn't do a ton well, but he does the running game very well. Um, of course, coached uh, Phil Troutwine at Boston College, and, and Leonard was on that staff working with Troutwine. So you add him as an analyst, help out Troutwine, help out Hal, try and get that running game going. Um, so, yeah, this is something that, that depending on how – Fast Lance can turn this around. Hopefully the story's out by then. But um, Frank Leonard has ties to James Franklin. He was on a Kansas State staff with him in 2007. So I think this is, uh, you know, a step into aiding what you're trying to do and fix the running game. And that doesn't come just from the offensive line. That doesn't just come from the running backs or the quarterbacks or whatever. Um, if you can add a, a veteran mind like Leonard, who's been coaching for 30 some years, then you've got an opportunity to, to help yourself and help those guys understand what you're trying to do. He's got some John, experience John. in the NFL, too. With the, yeah, uh, really, as a scout and as a tight ends coach. Yep. And, and really quick, Sean, I mean, uh, isn't this one of those things where maybe behind the scenes that people don't realize that when Franklin's talking about they need more resources, being able to, to pony up a little bit for, for these guys, whatever they may make, uh, that I think that this is one of those things that, that people may not realize that other programs have all sorts of analysts. And to be able to add multiple guys this year, I think, is a positive and speaks to maybe some steps Penn State's taking in the right direction. 
Yeah, and they've added a couple of those guys, and these analysts come and go. I mean, let, yeah. let's be honest here; those are not the uh, the glamour positions or anything like that. And it's a lot of coaches that are living off of previous buyouts and things like that. But so far, they've added Dan Connor, uh, Gabe Infante, Rick Lister to the mix. I mean, you've got a couple of new faces in there and fresh ideas. And I think that's really what it comes down to is is how do you implement all these years of experience into what you're trying to do, you know, for the for the collective, for the common good. And I think that's really what you're seeing with that. And James Franklin once his many guys on his staff he wants as much input as possible from guys that have been around for a long time and guys that he's worked with and guys that he trusts and things like that or in the in the case of, of a guy like dan connor just gives you a different perspective having a, having a guy that's been through the program has, has really done that sort of thing so i think it's about staff expansion it's about resource you know I- investing resources and things like that so you know i think it's a step in the right direction i think they had a couple of guys that that left in the off season that you know i i don't know that unless you're listening to this podcast or you're on our site that you really know the names or anything like that but um it gives you an opportunity to to get some new ideas in the building i think that's what it's about uh, you can find more on the addition of frank leonard to the staff as an analyst up on lines 24 7 as i said uh, sean should have that one reported out lance may beat him to the punch we'll, we'll see uh but but that is something that popped up today um that's gonna do it for this edition of the lines 24 7 podcast we'll get back to the mailbag next episode uh we'll see what pops up between now and thursday another week of winter workouts underway here in happy valley mark thanks so much for, for coming on with us talking hoops uh, hopefully we end that streak of something bad coming out of these interviews. It's all your fault. If not, it's all your fault. If not, <laughs> that's fine. Throw it on my shoulders. Uh, on behalf of Sean, Mark, our producer, Lance Glenn, that's going to do it. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24 seven podcast. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The challenge all-stars new season now streaming on Paramount plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.